right. Well, good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us tonight at Lighthouse Discipleship Center for our Bible study on the true nature of God by Andrew Womack. And uh, my name is Dave Everett. This is my wife, Sherry. Uh, we're excited about our Bible study tonight. Uh, and so thank you for joining us. You can also follow us. All of our Bible studies are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel, which is Lighthouse Discipleship Center. Uh, you can go to uh, even YouTube to search Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We should come up almost right away. And then uh, uh, we have over 700 followers, as well as uh, um, uh, like over 300 videos, including our teachings on uh, the true nature of God. Anyway, uh, we're going to be in chapter 2 again uh, this week. Uh, we're talking... Chapter 2 is talking about God's grace in the Old Testament. And specifically, we're going to pick it up in the, the section heading that says, Why God Delayed in Giving the Law. So we're going to be looking at that tonight. And, uh, and with, with that, we might end up uh, in with chapter 2. With chapter 3, it's talking about God's purpose for the law. So we're, 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 we're talking about God's true nature. But right now, we're, we're looking at it from an Old Testament perspective. And God's, God's grace and God's purpose in regards to the law. And so, because uh, that can be confusing for some people when we're talking about uh, the true nature of God. A lot of times if we don't understand what we're talking about, the law in the Old Testament, we, we, we can be very confused about God's true nature. And how does that line up with grace? How does that line up with New Testament thinking? And so, uh, so anyway... Hopefully we'll begin to unravel some of those questions and perhaps frustrations as we dive into the Word of Mind. So, Sherry will narrate for us. So, she'll read this section, this last section here in Chapter 2, and then uh, uh, we'll go from there. So, and we'll talk about it. So. Okay. By the time of Genesis 6-6, sin had become so bad on the face of the earth that the Bible says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. God is long-suffering, and for him to grieve that he even made mankind, people must have trespassed against him greatly. In Matthew twenty-four thirty-seven, Jesus is quoted as saying, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the, saint, the Son of Man be. In other words, Jesus said that when he returns, mankind will be sinning the same way they were sinning in the days of Noah. We have not yet seen sin to the degree that it was in the days of Noah. In less than 2,000 years from the time of Adam to the time of Noah, the world became so corrupt that it had never been that corrupt again. I guarantee you it's really corrupt today, but we still haven't seen sin to the extent Noah saw it. I could give you archaeological facts, information I've read about ancient art forms and artifacts that have been dug up that show we have not seen the depths of sin to the degree Noah witnessed in those last days. In less than 2,000 years, sin progressed to a level that the next 4,000 years, the time from the flood to the present day, has never equaled. There is a reason sin has been held back. After the flood, God finally did something to limit the multiplication of sin in the earth. He gave Moses the Old Testament law. By stating emphatically what was right and what was wrong, by giving mankind his perfect standard, 
God was saying, here's proof that your sin is unacceptable. By giving the law, but giving the law wasn't God's desire. If God had always wanted to limit sin through the law, if that was his plan in nature, why didn't he communicate it to Adam and Eve in the garden right after they sinned? He was talking to them face to face. He could have given the law to them then. Why did he wait 2,500 years before communicating the law through Moses? The primary reason is because it is the goodness of God to seek salvation. I'm sorry, I think I lost my place. The primary reason is because it is the goodness of God that leads man to repentance. God never wanted man to seek salvation out of fear of his wrath, but because of his goodness and mercy. But there is another reason God did not give Adam and Eve the law. God did not want Adam and Eve to know the terribleness and depths of their sin. Can you imagine what it have been like for Adam and Eve if they would have understood what their sin was really going to do to the human race? Can you imagine what it would have been like if they had been given a glimpse of the billions of people who are going to be in hell throughout all eternity because of what they had done? Can you imagine if they had had a graphic picture of all the suffering, the tragedy, the wars, and the atrocities that their sin was going to cause? What would that have done to them? They would not have been able to tolerate that realization. I don't think they would have been able to live with it. God did not want Adam and Eve to know the depths of their sin, even though they were guilty. He did not want to impute sin to them, so he operated in love and mercy toward them. He chose not to reveal to them all of his laws about how sinful they really were and exactly what they had done to the human race. Instead of pouring out all of his wrath upon them, he operated in love and mercy toward them and their descendants. Adam and Eve's descendants would have started avoiding God even more if he had made them understand how vile they were. If they had understood God's view of sin, hopelessness would have set in on the human race to such a degree that they wouldn't have been able to believe God offered them mercy or forgiveness. They would not have been able to expect help from him and would have turned themselves over to Satan. By showing Adam and Eve and their descendants mercy, love, and forgiveness, God was drawing them to himself that they might accept his promise of redemption through the coming Messiah and be saved. Even when Cain killed a man, God extended love and forgiveness instead of wrath to him. But people began to misunderstand God's mercy, and Cain's great-great-great-grandson began to justify his own sin because God didn't punish Cain. He began to think, well, God must not really be against it because Cain got by with it. So man began to see God's lack of punishment as approval, lowering their standard of holiness. People began to go further and further into sin, yielding themselves more and more to Satan, to the point where Satan was literally destroying the human race. To preserve those who were righteous and to prevent the total destruction of man, God decided to wipe out the human race except for Noah and his family. In the book of Genesis chapter 6, God sent the flood as a momentary expression of his wrath on the earth. But even the flood was really a manifestation of his love. Because sin had become so bad, God only had eight people left on earth who were responsive to him. If he hadn't intervened and done something, 
Nobody loyal to him would have been left on the earth and we would have never had the plan of redemption. Because of his love, God wanted a plan of redemption for those who had already lived and those who will live on the earth in the future. Jesus was God's agent for redemption and he had to be born of a human being who is not from a corrupted line of people. Jesus had to be born of people who had given place to God and allowed the Spirit of God to work through them. If God hadn't intervened with the flood, there had been no virgin to give birth to Jesus. Sin had become that bad on the face of the earth. Although the flood was a judgment of God, it was also a manifestation of the mercy and the love of God for the future of mankind. God showed great restraint dealing with sin from the days of Adam until the days of Noah. He operated in mercy, love, and forgiveness, not imputing man people's sins to them. Why? Was it he because he approved of sin? No. It was because he didn't want people to know how vile and filthy they were, because the knowledge of sin drives people away from him. But in the end, sin multiplied so grievously before the flood that after the flood, God handed down the law to Moses. Again, this was not God's first choice, but it was the only choice mankind gave him. Okay, well, thank you for joining us again tonight. Uh, again, we're going through the true nature of God. We're looking at specifically in this chapter 2, we're talking about God's grace in the Old Testament. And then specifically in this section, why did God delay in giving the law? You know, and, you know, the law is called the ministry of condemnation. It's called the ministry of death. Paul called it that in Second Corinthians chapter 3. It's, you know, the law is holy. The law is good. But by keeping the law, I can't make you holy. We're not going to go into all that discussion tonight. But anyway, uh, but the law is also called the ministry of condemnation and death. It condemns you. And, you know, the, the, the law doesn't grave on, grade on the curve. It doesn't have grace. It doesn't have mercy. Uh, but there was a delay between God, between Adam and Adam's fall to when the law came. Well, that's about 2,500 years difference and then there was uh there, there's been a separation of time between the law given and jesus coming and then uh and then between jesus and now which is uh, almost another two thousand years and so uh you know the, uh, and then we have a period of time between adam and the flood the flood was before the fall uh was before abraham you know so the uh but and one thing that uh, andrew brings out in his book Sin was so bad on the earth. We think it's bad now, and it's bad. But sin, sin was, I mean, just think how bad sin is now. It was much worse uh, back in the days of Noah. I mean, the law hadn't even come yet. But, uh, but one thing that Andrew's trying to bring out, that God showed his grace. God showed his mercy by, by waiting to give the law. But God also gave his grace and mercy by finally giving the law. Uh, God, yes, God poured out his wrath in the flood, but even that was a, 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 a manifestation of God's grace and mercy. Uh, you, you know, you have, to, you have to take a step back and look at these things for what they are. Um, you know, we see the wrath of God. We see the wrath of God in the law. Because like I said, it's a ministry of condemnation and death. But uh, when we step, take a step back, if God had not eventually given the law, 
there would never have been a virgin to give the birth of Jesus. Sin would have been so bad. If God had not done the flood, sin would have been so bad that there would not have been, we would not have been able to have a virgin birth. So, so, so there, there's, there's many factors to be played in here that you might not necessarily look at it just on the surface. But uh, God showed his grace. God, I mean, there's many different reasons for the law. One of them is to show that we need a Savior. But also, there was a point, a portion of the law that was given to hope, to hopefully maintain or control sin to a certain degree. So, and, and, and at least give a temporary, through the Levitical law, through the Levitical priesthood, be able to the temp, give a temporary atonement for sin. It wasn't it wasn't a sufficient sacrifice. Only Jesus was a sufficient sacrifice. But it gave an atonement, uh, uh, according to the law, for sin. It was almost kind of like a bail payment. Uh, you know, bail doesn't relieve you from the charges that are coming. But it, it, it does give you a temporary leave, a uh, temporary bail, until the charges are made. And, and you know, and, to, and so, so the, the Levitical sacrifices and whatnot were kind of like a bail payment. But uh, there's other aspects of the law as well. Um, but, you know, but can you also imagine, because Andrew brings it out, the weight of guilt and condemnation Adam would have felt if he fully understood the consequences of his sin, what, he done, what he's done to the human race and mankind. I mean, some of us just wanted to have him for lunch uh, because of what he's done. But, you know, God even showed his extended grace and mercy by not uh, letting him, let him see the full weight of his, of, of his folly, uh, you know, and whatnot. So, the point we're trying to get, we're talking about the true nature of God. We're not so much talking about the law. That's, that's something we can get into on a different topic. But, we're talking about the God's nature. And even in, in the law, even in, in Adam's consequences, even in... Uh, uh, the flood, we see God's grace and mercy. We see it there. And how God not only had grace and mercy towards Adam and Noah and others and the people who lived during those times, but a lot of that was extended of grace and mercy for us as well. We're seeing the nature of God. God had to deal with sin. Sin is deadly. Uh, but at the same point in time, God, in the midst of all that, in the midst of judgment, God was showing mercy. God was showing grace. And, uh, you know, anyway, want to add anything? No, I mean, I, I, I know we're, we will fully understand Andrew's point as he's, you know, leading up to what he's talking about. But I, I agree with Andrew and Dave that this really isn't too much about the law as it, it is just a point to show uh, about God's true nature, about his, his love and his grace and his mercy. And, you know, Dave hit on Jesus being the, the only perfect sacrifice that could uh, restore us back to God because sin in, its, in and of itself destroys relationships. You know, it, it, it keeps man from God. It doesn't keep God from man because it's already proven by uh if you read scripture that that god wants to draw us to him and even in the in the garden it was adam and eve who hid from god god still came to have a relationship with them they were the ones who hid 
but sin also destroys uh, mankind's relationship with each other and it's just sin is not good God is not soft on sin otherwise he wouldn't have sacrificed his own son brutally for all of us and yet Jesus one perfect sacrifice paid for all of us and you know I can't count how many people have been on the earth and are on the earth now and who will be on the earth before he comes again but that sacrifice was so powerful enough and so valuable enough that it paid for everybody. And if that doesn't show God's true nature of his love and compassion and mercy to people, I don't know what else can prove it because that in itself proves it all about God's true nature. But even with all that humanity has gone through and put on themselves, it still hasn't changed the fact about how good and how patient and loving and merciful our God is. Now, we will look at the law a little bit more in chapter 3 because the title of that chapter is God's Purpose for the Law. So we'll be looking at that a little more depth and talking about the true nature of God. So we, just, so we need, still need to deal with it some more. But I want to just piggyback on two comments that Andrew makes. Yeah, first of all, on page uh, 31, he says, The primary reason... For, and the question was, uh, why did God delay giving the law? The primary reason is because it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. God never wanted us to seek salvation out of fear of his wrath, but because of his goodness and mercy. But there is another reason why God gave the law. We went into that. But also, he says at the end of this chapter, he said, uh, no, it was because he didn't want people to know how vile and filthy they were because the knowledge of sin drives people away from God. <clears throat> you might not understand this and you might not even agree with it, but the knowledge of sin will drive you away from God. Uh, you know, it's the, His goodness that leads to repentance. You know, a lot of people don't get that. A lot of Christian religious people don't understand that. And and by by getting down people's throat, they're actually driving people away from God. Uh, that's not how you win them. It's his goodness that leads to repentance. It's not the knowledge of sin. We we need to have the knowledge <coughs> of sin to a point, certain point, but that will lead. So we we know we need a savior. But if uh, you know, if we just knew how vile it is, the knowledge of sin uh, can can lead us to 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 want to run away from God. We it's his goodness that leads to repentance. It's his good, and we we need his goodness. Uh, and God wants to, didn't want us to, doesn't, want, doesn't want us to change because we fear his, excuse me, <coughs> because we fear his wrath. God wants us to know his goodness and his mercy. That leads us to repentance. That leads us to a changed life. And so it's his goodness and mercy. We need, we need to understand that. And uh, that God, God, that's how God wants us to know him. Uh, and so not through the knowledge of sin. Anything else? Uh, just on a just a, a think about it note is, if God w was so cruel and mean, why would anyone want to run to Him? But it's a, because we are exposing who He truly is, His true nature about how loving and merciful He is. That's why His goodness leads people to repentance because that's who really draws people to himself. I mean, Jesus did himself did nothing that the Father didn't do, and he drew 
people, hundreds and hundreds by the thousands of people were drawn to him because of his compassion and his loving nature. All right, well, that that said, we're going to go move forward to chapter 3 because I'm sure we'll pick up some of this some more. Uh, we're going to be talking about God's purpose for the law. And then uh, uh, go ahead and read that section and we'll get into some more. Any people who really understand the goodness of God run straight to Chapter Him three. when they mess up. Yet many of us, when we get into problems, and especially if we aren't living godly lives, run from God. What's the first thing that happens when we sin and our consciences convict us that we've done wrong? The first thing that happens to most believers is that they start feeling guilty and condemned and they begin avoiding God. They know they have broken God's law. Usually when believers know they have broken the law, they don't want to be confronted by God. They are afraid he's going to reject them or bring some terrible punishment on them if they go near him. So they forget their Bible studies and skip their prayer times. They avoid church and the people of God because they are afraid they will be exposed. Do you relate to what I'm sharing? Maybe you know somebody who got into sin and eventually stopped going to church. Or maybe I'm describing you. When you sin, you may not even think it through enough to verbalize what's actually happening. But in your heart, you're fearful of coming before God. You're afraid of having your sin exposed and that God will reject you as a person. That he will find no value in your life. Then there's the punishment part. Most of us who are born again don't believe God is going to send us to hell for a few sins, but we believe he won't continue to fellowship with us, protect us, or provide for us. We think there has to be some groveling in the dirt and major humiliation to get God to go easy on us. This attitude drives us from God. Where does this attitude come from? That's a good question. So uh, we're about to get into chapter 3 when we talk about the true nature of God. And the title of this chapter is God's Purpose for the Law. You know, um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to choose my words. But this is one of the reasons why I don't like religion. And specifically, I don't like Christian religion. I like Christianity, true Christianity. I, I, I'm a believer. I'm a part of God. But religion and a form of Christian religion paint, misconstrues the nature of God. And, you know, some people, because they don't understand God's nature, when they sin, when they make a mistake, even a big mistake or even a small mistake, they run from God. We should be running to God for help. But they're afraid of God. They're afraid of, of coming to a pastor or whatever. God's already forgiven us through Christ. But most people don't even understand that to the full degree. And so we should be... Uh, find help. We should find grace and mercy in our time of need. Not to condone our sin, but to find help. <coughs> Some of us, we need to be discipled. We need to be taught how to get back on the path. How to, how to, uh, and different things. But, but, but there have been some bad churches out there. Uh, I've seen them, and I've seen the results, where if they sin, they expose the whole sin to the whole congregation. They expose it to other people. Who wants to serve a God like that? Who would come to a pastor like that? I mean, some of that is just ridiculous. It's, it's horrible. 
Uh, some people, uh, I, I, we used to pastor some, some people who thought they committed an unpartable sin. And that, so they, they want, you know, they thought they'd done it. So if you thought you committed an unpartable sin and you can't be forgiven, what's the point? You know, if you, if you, if you are convinced by some wrong teaching that you can't be forgiven, then there is no purpose for anything. I mean, there's no hope for you. So why, why care about anything? You know, that's just bad teaching. Uh, you know, it just, uh, I, can I, do I believe that people can do, kind of commit a part of a sin? Yes, yes but uh, someone who did that wouldn't even care. That's a whole other subject. I'm not going to get into all that right now. But, um, you know, it just, we need to, it's his goodness and his, that leads us to repentance. Romans, uh, I think it's 2 verse 4. Uh, you know, his goodness. We need to know God's nature so we can run to him, so we can embrace him. And by having a relationship with him and good teaching, good discipleship, good pastoring, we can get cleaned up and serve him with a clean heart, with a clean conscience and whatnot. We need to get that cleaned up. And we're not going to get cleaned up if we're running from God. And we're not going to run to God if we are so afraid of God's wrath and the wrath of a pastor, the wrath of a church. You know, uh, some churches, uh, you share what's going on, it will be nothing but gossip material. You know, it just, it just, it's horrible. Uh, and I'm not trying to paint every church and every person with this brush. But, and I'm not even, I'm not even doing full justice to everything I'm trying to say here by sharing everything. But it just, uh, this, I guess as a pastor, as a minister, as a believer, this is one of my pet peeves. Uh, it just when I, uh, I said someone asked me today where my pet peeves, and at the moment I, I wasn't in a happy mood, so I couldn't think of any. Uh, but uh, this is one of them when just bad teaching that causes people to run from God uh, or misconstrues who God is, <coughs> you know. And so we should be pointing people to Jesus, to God. And, and, and at the same point in time, we're not condoning sin. Jesus hung out with the public and the sinners. He didn't condone sin. At the same point in time, the sinners embraced him because he had the words of eternal life. And we want to help people, not drag them away. And helping people is not condoning sin. Neither is condoning, we're not, we're condemning the sin, but we are loving the person. There's a difference. We want to address the sin, but you don't, <coughs> you don't address the sin by condemning the person. You don't change the fruit unless you change the root. You got to change the root. You got to change the source. Where's you know? And uh, and uh, Andrew asks a question here. We're going to answer it. I don't know if we'll get a, the full answer tonight. But he said, you know, I want to read this last paragraph again of this first section. Then there, there's a punishment part. Most of us who are born again don't believe God is going to stand uh, send us to hell for a few sins. But we believe he won't continue to fellowship with us, protect us, <coughs> excuse me, or provide for us. We think that we think there has to be some groveling in the dirt and major humiliation to get God to go easy on us. This attitude drives us from God. Where does this attitude come from? And you know, there's a there's a wrong attitude. Not everybody. I'm not brushing everybody with this brush. But there's a religious attitude 
that has a misconstrued image of who God is. Somewhere, somewhere, I believe we've missed, we've we've mixed the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament together. It's the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we see the wrath of God in the Old Testament, and we think that that's how God operates in the New Testament, and we forget that God poured out His wrath, the fullness of His wrath, on Jesus. We, this whole religion has left Jesus out of the picture. God is not light on sin. He didn't brush it under some carpet. He's not shoving it behind some door. He's not light on sin. God hates sin. God, God's wrath will come out on sin. But it came out and Jesus became sin. The whole gospel message is that Jesus became sin. That we, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin. And what happened to Jesus? He was crucified. He was brutally crucified. The full wrath of God came on Jesus so it doesn't have to come on us. But there is coming a day. <coughs> there's coming a day of judgment where those who believe him will go to heaven and those who don't believe him will go to hell. And those who didn't receive Jesus will experience the full wrath of God. But those who didn't, who those who did receive Jesus, is not going to receive wrath because they have Jesus. So there are only two kinds of people: those who have Jesus and those who don't have Jesus. And here in the New Testament, we need to have Jesus. The full wrath of God is going to come out on Jesus. But just because we believe this way, some people think that we are teaching that it's okay to sin. Well, it came on Jesus. That's not what we're teaching. You know, there's four or five times in the New Testament, Paul preaches the gospel. And four or five times, Paul makes a statement, are you saying that we should just go ahead and live in sin? He says, God forbid. Five times, at least four, I think it's five, at least four times, Paul presents the gospel in such a way that his hearers are thinking that he's giving a license to sin. The obvious answer to that question is always no. But if you don't if, if you're preaching the gospel and that question doesn't come up, then you haven't preached the gospel the same way Paul has. Every time Paul preached the gospel, people thought he was given a license of sin. The answer is no, he wasn't. But that question came up every time. So the gospel is it's good news. Andrew paints a picture, it's too good to be true news. It's good news. It sounds too good to be true. And the good news of the gospel sounds like it's okay to sin. No, it's not okay to sin. But it sounds like it. And that's how it's presented. If you're going to present it the way Paul did, that question is going to come up. We're not going to get, we're not given a license to sin. <clears throat> we're being free from sin. But the full wrath of God came on Jesus so it doesn't have to come on you. Now, just because it came on Jesus, sin is still deadly. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, I think it's chapter 6, but it says, those who sow to the flesh of the flesh will reap corruption. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption, not from God, but from the flesh. If you, some people, if you don't like your harvest, then change your seed. If you don't like beans, don't plant beans. If you don't like corn, don't plant corn. You're not going to see me planting many vegetables because I don't eat very many vegetables. That's to my folly. 
But I'm a, I'm a Sherry prayed for, prayed for a meats and potatoes guy. That's what she got. She forgot to tag on, well, occasionally some vegetables because occasionally some vegetables is not something they eat. That's to my folly. But at the same point in time, uh, you're not going to now. I'll, I'll plant potatoes. Now I'll plant stuff because I know Sherry likes it. But I, but but I'm I'm being a little bit facetious here. But I'm but I'm making I'm making a point. If you don't like something, don't plant it. Because if you plant tomatoes, you're not going to get corn. If you plant carrots, you're not going to get radishes. If you plant tomatoes, you'll get tomatoes. Of course, you have to harvest it right and all that good stuff. But you're going to plant what you're going to receive what you get. If you sow, if you if uh, Bible says uh, again, I just quoted the verse. Uh, if you sow to the uh, um, can you quote the verse for me? I just said it. <laughs> if you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you'll reap uh, uh, life and peace. I believe it goes. You know, we got to sow to the spirit, not the flesh. This flesh, this lust, this flesh wants stuff. Including not eating vegetables. But there's, 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 there's flesh wants stuff. It lusts for stuff. The, our, you and I, and let me point the finger at me so I don't point at you. Our flesh, my flesh is selfish. Just take away Jesus for a moment. We're not, we're not talking, talking anti-gospel. But this flesh outside of Christ is just born selfish. I mean, we've been selfish since we were a toddler. Me, 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 me. And even, I'm not saying that some of us didn't grow up and mature and know how to get light. Um, we're nice and we're polite and we've learned how to, sure. how to share and get along. Some of us have not learned that, but a lot of us have. But at the same point in time, at its core, without Christ, we are selfish. But with Christ, we, uh, but, but we sell to the flesh. We were of the flesh reap corruption. Sin is still deadly. Anyway, my point, I'm trying to let me bring it back to what we're talking about. You know, the law, I mean, and actually, before I even get there, uh, you know, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. But, uh, um, I'm sorry, I just totally lost my train of thought. Uh, do you want to pick up anything? I'll think about what I, I know uh, Dave will get back on, on, on track and I know we have so much more to talk about the law and they, and again we're not bashing the law there was a purpose a God given purpose of why he gave the law and implemented it and the, the law for me is the, the main thing is pointing us to our need for Jesus our need for a savior there, there is only one thing to get us back to God, into relationship with Him, uh, into uh, forgiveness of, of sins, into just that reconciliation to God, and, and that's Jesus. And God's perfect plan did include the law so that he could have a, a people for himself, that he would be their God and they would be their people, and he would use them in Jesus's bloodline to have Mary uh, be that virgin that uh, was prophesied of Jesus's birth, and 
So God doesn't make mistakes, but he also doesn't, he's not soft on sin. Just look at the cross and what Jesus went through. But he, his, his heart is to show us love and mercy and so that we, we can have that uh, eternal life with, with him. He, he's, he's not blindly looking the other way. He has given man free will. So it was man's choice to for for Adam and Eve to, to sin, but it's also uh, the rest of us. Everyone else has their free will that they can choose. They could choose life. They could choose death. They could choose sin. They could choose you know relationship with God. That was like a gift of God. Not only did He make us in His own image, but He gave us free will, and you know that in itself. You know I don't want to go on. On that uh, rabbit trail, but God, God doesn't just foolishly do something or create something into to being. There's a perfect plan that God had, and uh, we, we just need to realize who God really is. You know, people who might have had bad father experiences of their own, of their own father being cruel or not in their lives or whatever. Uh, even then they, they take that twisted version of what a father has been to them and they put it on, on God, who is our father. But he's nowhere like any earthly person. He's nowhere like an earthly father. Uh, both Dave and I were blessed with godly men for fathers uh, and they weren't perfect. Uh, but back, trying to get back back to the topic all we have to do to look for god's grace and mercy and forgiveness and his compassion is is reading the word and finding out who he is you know jesus uh own example of the woman caught in adultery number one he said he is with who is without sin cast the first stone and no one was able to cast a stone at her but after they left, he turned to her and said, you know, where are your accusers? You know, go and sin no more. He's telling her to don't sin anymore. We just need to look at, at Paul's example of what was his life before uh, the road to Damascus. He was actually killing Christians and Try, trying to get Christians to be sent to death and yet God took hold of his heart and used him as I mean how many books of the Bible are written by Paul that we still glean so much wisdom out of and yet if God was so harsh on sin he, he would he if, if that's who true God truly was we wouldn't have the, the letters written by Paul to the church. We wouldn't have Paul's example of everything in, in his past, anything good, any, any of his accomplishments. All of that, uh, Paul, Paul said, that, that's, that's done. Dave even talked about that this morning. Paul knew God's forgiveness so much and God's goodness that he put all of that his past aside and instead 
said, for me to live is Christ. And even Peter, who, who failed God and denied Jesus, was forgiven and brought back. And he preached to 3,000 that got saved. You know, all, all we have to do is look at the Bible and all our examples to see what failures they all were. And yet God forgave them and loved them and brought them back. And so many times, so, so many times, it, it says that God forgives our sins and he, he doesn't write them down. He, he get, puts them as far as from the east and the, and the west to us. And yet, if we hold on to someone's sins and not forgive, uh, we're not being very Christ-like, are we? Um, but I, I'm getting off topic off, off the law, but I'm just trying to prove that God is not soft on sin. He's not okaying sin. Even with all the grace and love he's poured out on us, he's not saying, go ahead and sin, I don't care. No, he's saying, awake to righteousness and sin not. Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. All right. Uh, we've got about 20 minutes left, so uh, uh, let's go ahead and read some more. The title of this section is called The Law Brings Condemnation and Gives Strength to Sin. So, let's see how we do with this. We have discussed how the Old Testament is not an exact representation of God, but it goes much deeper than that. The Old Covenant was an inferior covenant to the New Covenant. The whole book of Hebrews addresses this concept in detail, but here are a few scriptures to illustrate my point. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there should no place have been sought for the second. Hebrews 8, 6, and 7. In that he saith, a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Hebrews 8.13 Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Hebrews 7.22 the old, the old covenant couldn't make anything perfect, so God had to bring in something better. This was the new covenant, sealed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The new covenant brought greater glory to God than the old covenant. But if the ministration of death, written and engraved in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glorious no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Second Corinthians three seven through eleven. This passage of scripture also says that the Old Testament administers death and condemnation. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 and 56. And this passage of scripture says that the Old Testament law gave strength to sin. 
the law, the truth we are seeing here is if it hadn't been for the Old Testament law brought into being through Moses, sin would not have had strength to destroy us. I know this may be challenging your theology. In fact, this may just make everything tilt on the inside of you. But we need to come to grips with some truths to harmonize the Old Testament law with New Testament grace, love, and forgiveness. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forget, God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law hath said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taken occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concubiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. Romans 7, 7-10 Did you know there was a period of time in our lives when sin was dead? That then we gained the knowledge of right and wrong, and the law came into our understanding. Sin was present before, but it wasn't dominating or controlling us. Sin was dead. Once we were confronted with the law and saw God's perfect holy standard, we realized how sinful we were. Concupiscence, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, is uncontrolled lust or desire. Did you know that the Old Testament law actually drew uncontrolled lust and desire out of us? We heard the commandment, Thou shalt not covet, Exodus 20:17, and we saw ourselves as covetous maniacs. The law points to our sin, brings it to life, and condemns us for it. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Romans 3.19 Have you ever felt guilty? Did you know where that came from? You got that through the law, through the Old Testament administration. The law makes you feel guilty. It condemns you according to 2 Corinthians 3.9 and Romans 3.19. Condemnation is not to be confused with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, however. Thank God for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. He's on the inside of you and will let you know immediately if what you're thinking of doing or have done is sin or if it's not God's will for your life. Conviction draws you to God and leads you in his ways. But condemnation drives you away from intimacy with God and makes you feel helpless to do anything but sin. Most of us as believers would agree that Satan is the author of condemnation. But one of the biggest things he uses to minister condemnation to us is the Old Testament law. We frequently rebuke the condemnations of the devil, but sometimes condemnation comes from thoughts established in us through religion. We need to cleanse ourselves from thoughts that have Old Testament scriptures attached to them. A reoccurring nightmare I had as a teenager was that I had smoked a cigarette and went to hell for it. This is a pure example of how the law condemns us, kills us, and sends us to hell. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, Romans 3.20. The Bible says that the purpose of the law is to give us the knowledge of sin, not the knowledge of Jesus. God, forgiveness, or any doctrine that is so well expressed through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The law pointed our attention to ourselves, our sin, and our unworthiness. As a child, in my early years of religious training, I was taught to write sin lists. Sin lists. They would give me and the other children paper, and we had to list every sin we ever committed. I had to ask for another piece of paper. I probably lived a better life than most people, but I was obsessed with my sin instead of being focused on Jesus. They thought if people saw how rotten they were, they would get sick of themselves and turn to God. But that's never the way it worked. By making my sin list, I got so sick of myself that all I could think about was myself. I didn't have time for God because I was so occupied with how much I had failed. This is where most religious people are today. It's not that they think more highly of themselves than they ought to. Most Christians think more lowly of themselves than they ought to. They're totally self-centered and self-dominated, going around thinking they cannot possibly live right for God. My early religious instructors told me that the worse I thought of myself, the more I would be broken and open for God to use me. But that is not a New Testament emphasis. The Bible says in Philemon, Philemon 6 that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. It is acknowledging what Jesus has done on the inside of you, experiencing the love of God, and having a heart of gratitude for what he has done for you that makes you effective. That's the New Testament way of doing it. But the Old Testament law made us self-conscious. It made us focus our attention on ourselves and our sin. We were so full of how guilty we were. We were condemned. We were under an administration of death, and it totally wiped us out spiritually and emotionally. All right, thank you. So there's a couple of simple things that we talked about in this section, and then uh, pretty soon here we're going to switch the tone here. We're talking about the true nature of God, but sometimes as we... When you're trying to teach something, sometimes you have to unravel some of the wrong teaching first. Sometimes you have to unravel some of the, the uh, unravel some of the things. And we're not trying to step on toes, but then again, we are, uh, because we're, we're trying to help. And uh, I know I need to, my toes stepped on sometimes to, to get the truth. But a couple of different things I want to point out. I don't know about piggyback on everything. Some of this I've already talked about. But the law is a ministry of condemnation and death. Paul called it that. It, it condemns us. It doesn't show us grace. It doesn't show us righteousness. It doesn't point us to Jesus. And in, in one sense, it points that we need a Savior. But we, it points that it, 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 and the law also is a strength of sin. We wouldn't even have known about sin if it wasn't for the law, it says. The law is a strength of sin. The law is a knowledge of sin. It's not the knowledge of Jesus. Uh, for example, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is true. Uh, and that doesn't point to Jesus. And actually, when people quote that, they only quote half the sentence because the, the, the very next verse talks about the grace of God, talks about the antidote, talks about our salvation. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> Andrew brings out another point is sometimes when we're so sin-focused, so sin conscience, we're really selfish. And we're all we're doing is looking at ourselves. You know, pride, pride is self-centeredness. 
You can be prideful, thinking you're arrogant, you're better than everybody else. I ha you know, even if you didn't sin, even if you were a very moral person, and you're looking at, look at what I've done, I have never sinned. You're looking at yourself. That's pride. If there's any good in you, it's because of Jesus. That's humility. You know, uh, also if you look down at yourself, I'm nobody, I'm, I'm just a, uh, I can't do anything, I'm just... Uh, you're just looking down at yourself. Looking down at yourself, you're still looking at yourself. That's selfishness. We need to look to Jesus. We should look low. We should see ourselves the way God sees us. God says we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God says you are my all. You're uh, you're all fair, my beloved. There's no spot in you. We should see ourselves the way. God sees us. We shouldn't see ourselves better than God sees us. And we shouldn't see ourselves lower than God sees us. We should see ourselves how God sees us. And if, if God says we're this and we look at our lives and it doesn't measure up, guess who's wrong? Not God. We are. And sometimes we need the help of a pastor, teacher, a counselor, a friend. A uh, Christian friend who will help admonish us and get us back on track. If we're, the Bible says, that as a man thinketh, so is he. If our thinking is wrong because our theology is wrong, then we will probably live wrong. But if our thinking is right, it will change the way we think. It will change the way we live, and it will it will change the outcome. But we need to change the way we think. And how are we going to change the way that we think if our doctrine, if our teaching, if our belief system is wrong? We need to change our belief. We need to get our belief system in alignment to the truth so we can think right, we can look at ourselves right, and we can look at other people right. You know, when I, when I understand the true nature of God, I know we're barely getting into some things. I see God differently, I see myself differently, and I see other people differently. I'm not perfect. I haven't fully arrived with some of that, but I'm better than I was. Because I see how God sees me, and if that's how God sees me, then that's also how God sees you. And it, it helps me It helps me put a different perspective on, on things and put people. You know, when I see people uh, living in sin, I don't like it, but I'm actually broken for them. I'm not mad at them. I mean, the times where I get mad is when they are mean and hostile towards somebody else. That's what I don't like, and I don't, I won't put up with that. But, uh, but you know, but I'm still broken for them. I'm still broken that they're that they're acting that way, they're reacting that way, and something's broken on the inside. And what's going to fix it, Jesus? What's going to fix it? The truth. That's the truth that will set you free. And if we can get the truth, and we can get the foundation fixed. And we can get them thinking right. We can get them living right. And we can. they're going to be blessed. They're going to be a blessing. And everyone's going to be blessed. And there's so many things I can pick it back on. I wish, I mean, I could spend hours and hours on this section. It's really good stuff. I'm just really, uh, uh, it just, uh, there's just hard to, to know what the, there's actually picking back on. We're, um, we're going to talk about the effects of sin next, but we'll probably won't get to that for next week. Um. Uh, do you have anything you want to say? Just kind of in wrapping up, you know, we were talking about the true nature of God and, and just how truly loving and merciful and compassionate He is. 
compared to the, the wrong um, perception that uh, we can all get on, on seeing God as, as mean and wrathful. And, and yet, you know, we all can quote the verse from uh, John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whoever shall believe on him shall have everlasting life. And if we we can glibly quote it left and right and up and down and all around, but if we truly knew that verse and truly pondered it and realized that God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son, you know, that would really change our thinking. Because what parent freely, gladly, willingly gives up their only child to save the world. Most parents would really struggle with that because children are such a gift and uh, that a parent just, they would do anything for their child, not kill them. Yet God willingly gave his own son out of his love for the world, for everyone. And even in John, excuse me, in, in First John, uh, for, 1 John 4, 10, it says, And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, God's not so focused so much on if we love Him or not. He wants us to first get that He loves us. Because only if we can understand that can we turn around and love him and love others? I think I want to kind of wrap up with this thought, but I, um, I guess we get on page 40, but it says, this is where most religious people are today. It's not that they think more highly of themselves than they ought to. Most of us, as, most of us Christians think more lowly of ourselves than we ought to. We're totally self-centered and self-dominated going around thinking we cannot possibly live right for God. My early religious instructors told me that the worse I thought of myself, the more I would be broken and open for God to use me. But that is not a New Testament emphasis. The Bible says in Philemon verse 6 that the communication of my faith becomes effectual by the knowledge of every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. You know, that more and more that's becoming my favorite verse. Uh, the communication of your faith becomes effectual as you acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Your faith does not become effectual because you acknowledge your sin or you acknowledge your shortcomings. No. Your, your faith becomes effectual as you acknowledge every good thing. Sin is not a good thing. Every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. That's how your faith, you know, the, the, this, this word, uh, when it says the communication of your faith, that word communication in the Greek is where we get the word koinonia. It means fellowship. The fellowship of your faith, the koinonia of your faith becomes effective. It becomes effectual when you acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus you want your faith to be effectual? If your faith, see, the uh, Bible says anything that without faith is sin. You, you're either, Andrew teaches my another teaching, either you're living life supernaturally 
or you're living life superficially. I don't know about you, but I want to live a supernatural life of faith. And how do I live a supernatural life of faith? I acknowledge every good thing that's in me in Christ Jesus. How can you acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus if you don't even believe what's in you is good? If you're so focused on how you messed up, how you're wrong, and how lowly you are, you're not acknowledging every good thing that's in Christ Jesus. If you're acknowledging your, your shortcomings, that's not good. That might be true, something you did, but that's not acknowledging every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. You know, I have a saying, I say a lot, especially when I've really messed up, and there's been times in my life I've made some horrible mistakes. I can't change what I did, but I can change what I'm going to do. I can't change what I did. You know, it's like it's like the toothpaste out of the, out of the toothpaste tube. I can't get it back in. Some of the things that we say, some of the things that we do, we can't change it. It's done. But I can change how I'm going to do. I can't, you know, uh, we, you know, we, if I did something wrong, I can go to that person and apologize. They, they still might not receive me, but I can at least do my part. You know, sometimes even a simple apology can break strife. Sometimes it can bring healing. Sometimes some, that person needs to hear those words, I'm sorry I was wrong. You know how healing that can be to some people. I know some people will just take that and run with it, but some people, that would be very soothing for them. Uh, you know, humility. I can talk about humility. You know, I heard from Jeremy Pearson a few years ago. Jeremy Pearson is Kenneth Copeland's grandson. He and uh, his, his wife Sarah have their own ministry. We we have a page on our website called Like Minded Ministries, and we promote Sarah, uh, Jeremy and Sarah's ministry. Uh, they have a ministry much like ours, but but, but uh, and whatnot. She sings musically, and he he teaches. But anyway, Jeremy made a statement. That says, anytime we tell God, "I got this," we say, "I got this." That's pride, because when you say you got it, God doesn't. It's not what you can do; it's what God can do in you. We need to, you know, humility. And when I when I think of the when humility, I always come to two different people in the Bible. The first one is David. David, when he came on the scene with Goliath, he was not focused on Goliath, and he wasn't focused on himself. He was focused on God. That was God. He was humble. He was the most humble person on the scene. Because Saul and his the armies of Israel, they were wallowing in fear. They were, they were uh, there's a word I use, uh, they were, uh, uh, they had low self-esteem. They were, uh, the word uh, I usually use, but you know, when you have a low self-esteem, that's pride, because you're focused on you. You're focused what you can and cannot do based on you. David wasn't ba basing what he could and could not do with Goliath based on him. He was doing what he could do based on God. It's not based on how big Goliath was or how many fingers or toes or different things he had. He was a big guy. You know, uh, and he was so big and he was so fearsome that the whole army of Israel was wallowing in fear for 40 days. Some people try to water it down and different things of why Goliath fell. But he was so fearful 
that for the whole arm, trained armies, trained soldiers for 40 days were wallowing in fear for one man. One man that was a giant. But David saw this man and he says, How dare this uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of the living God? The same God that helped me rescue one of my sheep, my father's lance from a lion's mouth or from a bear's mouth will rescue me from this Goliath. I don't know about you, but I've never fought a lion and a bear. I don't really want to either. You know, I'll take David's word for it. I don't want to fight, take on a, I mean, some, some of me would rather fight a lion and a bear. I mean, would rather fight Goliath than a lion and a bear. You know, I don't want to fight a lion and a bear. But David had no fear he wasn't just doing something foolish. He wasn't, he, you know, some people thought David was cocky. His own brother thought he was cocky. But that's, see, that's what faith looks like. To some people, it looks like being cocky. But David was trusting his God. And his focus was on God, not himself. David trusted God. That's humility. The other person I looked to in humility was Esther. If you read the story in the book of Esther, I don't have time to teach you all right now. But they, Esther was not focused on her beauty, was not focused on her position as queen. She was not focused on anything. She trusted and relied on God. And that's awesome. That's, that's humility. Pride says, I got this. Pride is also, pride is focused on ourself. Pride is says, I can, I cannot do, I can do this because of how strong and mighty and I, I, I can I can overcome temptation or whatever. I'm a moral person. I'm a good person. There's nothing about... You know, everything you just told me is about what, how you see you. Where uh, 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 someone who's got a fast self-esteem, someone who... who uh, again, I can't think of that word, but it just... Uh, uh, they're, they're focused on themselves. They're insecure. That's the word I'm looking for. They're so insecure. But a lot of that insecurity, because they're focused on them. It sounds good, it sounds humble, it sounds noble, but they're still focused on them. Humility says, I can't do it, but God in me can. They're, trust, they're relying on God, not them. Any of these, David knew he had a covenant relationship with God, but so did King Saul. He had a covenant relationship with God, and so did all the armies of Israel. They had a re covenant relationship with God, but David believed it. David trusted it. That's humility. And he can, humility, can, you can come bold. God says he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. God says if we humble ourselves in him's sight, he will exalt us. There's two times in scripture where God says he will exalt us. He's, the other time is in Psalm 89 where he says his righteousness will exalt us. And righteous God is... God, <coughs> God, when we understand righteousness, and we're going to be talking about righteousness in a couple of weeks on Sunday mornings, but I don't have time to teach all that right now. But anyway, I'm trying to bring this to a wrap, uh, close tonight. Um, but, you know, we need to trust Jesus. We need to trust God. We need to stop looking at ourselves. 
Stop saying what you can do based on you and stop saying what you can't do based on you. Start saying, I can do what God says I can do. I can be who God says I can be. And, and there's, a, there's a saying that Lust and Purdue, our, our pastor, says all the time. And Sherry, our car needs a, our, our, our old car, uh, needs, a, uh, needs a bath. It needs a car wash. And Sherry, a lot of times people with the dust will say, wash me. Uh, Sherry actually wrote something yesterday on our car with the dust. And it says, I have favor with God, favor with man, and a good understanding. And what does that mean to you? Well, it just means pretty much what Dave's been wrapping this up with, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That God in my life uh, exalts me. It's only by God I can live this life life and it's kind of like Dave's uh reminding us of the story of, of David and Goliath you know David could have listened to the army of Israel or listened to his brother or because I mean he, he was young however young he was but he had no fear of this giant because he knew who his God was and that just um, he he knew he wasn't going to fail, no matter how scary Goliath looked, because of his trust in the Lord. You know, if if I'm going to live godly, if I'm going to live moral and, and a righteous life, it's going to be because of Christ in me. If I'm going to succeed, it's going to be because of Christ in me. I can do what God calls me to do, and usually when God calls you to do something, it will be something you cannot do. One, you don't have the resources. One, you don't have the wisdom and strength. It's something that you have to trust God. That's usually how you know it's God. You know, we started this church six years ago. We had no money. We had nothing. We didn't even have a home. We didn't have a car. We didn't have jobs. And yet, uh, I mean, I wish I had time to tell our testimony. But God has given us so much. Yesterday, for the first time in I don't know how many years, we bought a car. We've had four cars given to us for free over the last few years. Yesterday, we were able to buy our own car. And uh, and so, it's been God's grace. I mean, we started this ministry over six years ago. We have a small church as far as attendance is. And with COVID and, and different things that have happened the last year or so, uh, it doesn't look like we have a lot of attendance. But, you know, just in the last few months, we have 700 followers on YouTube. You know, different things. I mean, if we add all the income we've had over the last six years to this ministry, we have almost a quarter million dollars have come through this little church. All of that has gone back to the ministry. All of that has gone back to do things. Yes, I had to get a salary and different things. But, uh, but, but I, I mean, I work more than 40 hours. I'm always working. <laughs> I mean, even while we watch a movie at night sometimes, I'm still working. I, I, but it really, in my opinion, if you love what you do, you really don't work a day in your life. And I, I don't feel like it's always work. Sometimes it is. But God, it says in Psalm 90 verse 17 that His beauty will bless the work of our hands. Sherry has a job she loves. We, we had some setbacks and some things that happened a few months ago. Uh, but even then, God, things are, are on an upward turn. You know, uh, God is for us. We are blessed. And we we have the favor of God. We have the favor with man. And we have a good understanding. And when we don't, 
Let's just say we have a moment where our crossroads or where we, we hit a, 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 a fork in the road and we don't know which way to turn. We have a God we can go to for wisdom. And sometimes we don't always know, do we go right or left or stay still? Uh, you know, we need to have wisdom. We need to have direction. But just like the pillar cloud led Israel by day, by, by, by cloud by day and fire by night, God leads us by his spirit. Uh, he gives us wisdom. He is our provider. Well, he is our, uh, in every which way. And uh, we still have, just because I'm given a great testimony and there's so much more I could share to it, doesn't mean we don't have our challenges. We have our challenges, believe me. Uh, almost every week we have a new challenge. Some of you don't know it because we don't, we don't share it with everybody. Uh, we're not here about, we're not here magnifying our problems. We're here magnifying Jesus. But do we have problems? Absolutely. We have some major things we've gone through in recent months. Major, major things. Uh, but at the same point in time, my God shall meet my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And we come back to Jesus because he's our source. <coughs> you know, and uh, if, but if we stopped trusting God and we started trusting what we can do, our job will fall like that. It will just it'll fall flat. Yeah, but we're going to trust God. And, if, you know, there's so many times if we didn't have God on our side, there's so many times we would have been, you know, between 2009 and 2013, we had lost everything. We didn't have a home. Without her grandmother taking us in, we, we would have been homeless for five years. And so, uh, you know, there's such a big testimony behind all this. But God has brought us out. And we're here to be a blessing. But at the same point in time, there have been times where, Things were starting to unravel. We thought we were going to go back to a similar situation, but God is our provider. I mean, just a few months ago in, in July, so we just had a major issue. I'm not going to go in that detail, uh, but we just had a major issue that we thought it was going to be one of the biggest financial things we were going to go through. But God's come through. So much tough that we were able to buy a car uh, the other day. Now, we got a good deal, uh, but at the same point in time, God's, and I'm not just boasting in the car. I'm boasting with God's goodness. He's been good to us. We have a home we can we can, we can be a blessing with. Our opinion is that whatever we have is to be used for God's glory. Um, and and, 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 and I, there's so many different aspects I can go with that. But it's just uh, uh, we're, we're talking about God's nature. And we're seeing a bit in the Old Testament. We're going to talk about more next week. I don't know we've done full justice on everything we're, we're reading here, but uh, hopefully you heard my heart. Everything? Yeah, you want to pray us out? Okay, so I'll just pray us out. Lord, we just worship you. We magnify you. Lord, I pray that you would, re, uh, as you have revealed yourself to people throughout the years, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, and others, that you will reveal yourself in your true nature to each person who's listening to this teaching. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness, and Lord, your goodness that leads us to repentance. Lord, we thank you for the law. We thank you for your mercy and grace. But Lord, we thank you that now, we're because of Christ, we're not under the law, we're under grace. We worship you, we magnify you. Help us to understand these things to the, to the degree that we need to, to function. We worship you, we bless this week. Lord, we, we continue to pray for our country as uh, we're, we're facing one of the greatest elections in our, the history of this country. 
And we pray for this election. We pray for all the Christians to vote as your spirit would lead us to vote. In the name of Jesus, we 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 just thank you, Lord. Bless us, we bless the work of our hands. Bless our jobs. Bless our homes and our families and our loved ones. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a good week. We'll see you uh, Wednesday night at 7 o'clock as we talk about the new year and the Holy Spirit.